You are listening to the Power of Why podcast. This episode is brought to you in collaboration with Invest Ottawa, the lead economic development agency for knowledge-based industries in Canada's capital, and with critical support from BDC Capital's Thrive Venture Fund, and also the title sponsor of International Women's Week, we've teamed up to produce this special series to celebrate women leading in Ottawa. In support of its women founders and owner strategy, Invest Ottawa offers programs and services that enable and accelerate the growth and success of women entrepreneurs from every walk of life. Visit www.investottawa.ca forward slash women to learn more. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Power of Why podcast. My name is Naomi Hiley, and today I am here with Bree Jamison Holloway. Bree, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Naomi. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to chat with you on the show. For the audience, before we start, uh, let me tell you a little bit about Bree. So Bree was appointed Vice Chairperson of the Canadian International Trade Tribunal in December 2022, where she supports Canadian and international businesses with access to fair, transparent, and timely adjudication of trade and tariff matters. Bree is an international corporate lawyer qualified in Ontario, as well as England and Wales. She has practiced in London, England, and Hong Kong, and is now based in Ottawa, where she founded Jameson Law, a boutique corporate firm in 2017, which continues as Gowling WLG in November 2022. Throughout her career, Bree has garnered broad international business experience working for and representing government, public, and private sector companies and global organizations in the areas of corporate finance and corporate and commercial practice. Bree is a 40 under 40 winner and a published author whose writing has appeared in Practical Law UK and Westlaw Insights. She sits on boards and advisory councils as a huge champion of diversity and inclusion and really fights for everyone's, you know, fair access to justice. And so, Bree, super excited to chat with you on the show. I would love if you could start with sharing a little bit about your origin story, how you grew up, where you grew up, and we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So my beginnings were quite complex. I grew up in southwestern Ontario um, in a city called Brantford. I grew up surrounded by intergenerational trauma. Um, We lived in complete poverty. There was a lot of hardship. And to add to that, I was bullied really badly in school. So it was definitely a really difficult existence. Um, I grew up really feeling like I didn't fit in anywhere. So I think also being mixed race, it felt like I was always searching for a community, but could never find one. Because I was either too much of one thing, not enough of another, and that didn't sit well with a lot of people. I think it was it was sort of people constantly trying to place me, and even I wasn't really sure where I fit. So that was really complicated for a child to navigate, and all of that chaos, all of all of the things that were happening around me added to that. So it was definitely difficult. But I think, you know, the main takeaway for me is that anybody can overcome adversity if they have the willpower, the focus and the determination to do it. And I and the resiliency, I think that's really, really important as well. And so that's what I did. I really used those life experiences to chart my path forward. And 
I think, you know, I, I was very fortunate in that I had two very strong women guiding me through my life, my mother and my grandmother. And so despite all of the adversity and all of the intergenerational trauma, I was really surrounded by strength and love from the women in my life. And I think that gave me a very strong footing, a very strong foundation, which was crucial to my success. And in that as well, I think I was given a strong, a strong moral compass. I think it was innate within me as well. But I think, you know, obviously the nurture assisted that. Um, and I've always been deeply rooted in the values that I was taught by my mom and my grandma from you know, the moment I can first remember. So, you know, that also influenced me. And I was thinking about it yesterday. And, you know, my grandmother always used to say, push on regardless. And that is a motto for my life. That is exactly what I have done. I have always pushed on regardless. I will see the bright side of every situation. I will always look for the positive in every situation. And no matter how bad it gets, I will push on and I will keep going and I will not give up because I feel like life is a blessing and we're fortunate to be given the life that we have. And we have to be able to look forward and know that the sun will come out again tomorrow and that we will get through this. We just have to keep going. We have to keep pushing on regardless. Um, I was on mute, but I was snapping my fingers for so many of the amazing things that you shared. I'd be curious to know, in terms of that motto that you shared, I think that's really powerful. And you mentioned intergenerational trauma. And through your story, it also sounds like there was so much intergenerational wisdom, like from your mother, from your grandmother. And I think that's I feel so happy for you that you had that in your life and you grew up with you know, such great uh, nurturing figures as well. I was curious to hear in terms of that motto, like what were you thinking about, you know, when you were going through tough times and how did you get to a point where you did see the, you know, the sun in those moments? And was it your purpose that was, you know, pushing you to keep going and never give up? Or was it something else that you were tapping into? That's a really great question. Um, I don't, I don't think that I ever really thought of it beyond the moment. I know that there were moments when I was, and I'm talking about when I was a really young child, there were moments when I felt in dire straits and I didn't know, you know, what was going to happen next. And I would say to myself, push on regardless. And I don't even know if I really understood what that meant at that stage. It was the thing you did. And the thing that I knew my grandmother had done, my mother had always done. And so, you know, they had turned out wonderful people. So it must have made sense. For some reason, it was going to be okay. And and I think I just always believed that it was going to be okay. No matter what I was going through, I can remember moments where I just, I didn't know how I was going to get through that day even that hour, I would always say to myself, it's going to be okay. Just keep pushing on. It's going to be okay. And it was, it was just this motto for my life. And I think now when I think about it and, and probably as a younger teen as well, when I started to really understand what that meant. Um, and I, I remember I'd have conversations with my, my mom and my grandma and other members of my family as well, who also follow that same motto. 
about what that meant. And I think it, it became a, a focus to get me to the end goal. When I was a child, the end goal was to help people and to be a mother. Those were my goals. It was so simple. And I had no idea how that would manifest. You can imagine this girl, you know, poor, living in a totally different world from what I live in now. Just knowing that those were the things that I was put on this earth to do and I was going to achieve them, whatever it ended up looking like. And I think that, yeah, it just, it just kind of became the motto that would keep me going through the hard times and through the challenging times. They weren't always hard, you know, sometimes they were just challenging, you know, ultimately I would get there and it would be okay. And I would achieve my goals. As you get older, you you form a clearer picture of your goals. Mm -hmm. And what does that, what does that look like? And there were many times where I would picture myself walking through the streets of London or the streets of Paris and you know, anywhere but where I was, you know, I would take myself out of that place and I would dream of a different life and a different environment and what that felt like and what it sounded like and what it looked like and and what it meant for what my life was in that dream. Um, And so I think as I got older and those dreams started to crystallize, Mm -hmm. it became really clear to me the pushing on and the keeping going meant eventually I could get out of the limiting environment that I was in and reach further afield and, and see the world and experience new people and cultures and life from a different perspective. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. And something that my mentor always says to me is you have to see beyond the circumstances of your current situation. Um, And what you said, I don't want to overlook what you said about visualization and actually what you said you almost like activated other senses like what it feels like yeah what it and and basically like navigating as if it's your current reality already yeah um and I really encourage people to do this because I did the same thing Brie before moving here to New York I would literally lie down and think about like walking through the streets of Harlem, being on campus, like going to coffee shops. It's crazy to actually crystallize those things. And you mentioned briefly London. You've also, as we've mentioned, spent time in Hong Kong. So I'd love for you to kind of describe like what drew you to studying abroad. You studied, you know, international relations and business in the UK. You worked in in London at a large international law firm. I'd love to learn about what drew you there and what you learned from your experiences being abroad as well. So I think it really comes back to those dreams that I had as a child, you know, taking myself out of the environment that I was in or the the confines of, you know, my socioeconomic status and what other people told me that meant for my future. You know, I can't count, I, I can, well, no, I can't count the number of times people would say to me, you know, you're statistically not going to be successful or things like that. And, and that was a real reality. I also, on the other side of that, had people telling me you can do anything you put your mind to, which was what I chose to listen to, right? It's all in what you choose to hear and what you choose to embody. And so for me, having those dreams and realizing that 
by breaking free of some of the more negative limiting beliefs that surrounded me, there was opportunity to broaden my horizons and go and experience the world, not only through my eyes, but through other people's eyes. And for me, that was such a powerful, powerful opportunity. I think that taking those leaps and and moving abroad gave me a perspective that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Well, I, I recognize that in having these experiences when I came home, I would have a much stronger toolkit that was powerful in itself. I saw that the opportunity to empower myself and to continue growing as an individual. And it took a huge amount of willpower because I was I was a very shy young person. I was insecure having been bullied and gone through everything I'd gone through. I was not confident. I wouldn't have called myself confident at that time in my life. I was having to break through a lot of fear and limiting beliefs as well that I carried to to take that leap and go. So it was a lot of things that that drew me to to taking that adventure and making that part of my journey. But I, I think it all really started with those those early childhood dreams um, and knowing that I had to make it a reality. The dreams were done. Like let's make this real now. Let's go mm-hmm. do this. Yeah, and you you did it. I mean, you mentioned some of the privileges of being able to make a move like that. And you also talked about the um, international exposure and the toolkit that you would essentially like build during your time abroad. And so I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about how that potentially informed your journey of, you know, starting your own business, your own practice. And what did that, when you say toolkit, like what specifically were you looking to build and how has that informed the work that you did? So growing up for a lot of people of a poor socioeconomic background and growing up like I did, you don't have as wide a view of what opportunities are available because you do in some respects live in a bubble, so to speak. So for me, when I was growing up, you know, I I knew I wanted to help people. I knew I wanted to be a mom. I really only knew that to avoid living in poverty, I had to be a doctor or a lawyer. Those were really the only two options I knew were available to me. I was terrible in math, like terrible. (laughs) So becoming a doctor felt like it probably wasn't going to happen. So that left lawyer. So that's what I did. Somehow I became a corporate finance lawyer. Don't know how that happened, but it did anyway, despite being bad in math. But, you know, that was kind of, that was kind of that trajectory um, for me. And so when I went abroad and I experienced business and entrepreneurship and I'd received a scholarship from the University of Ottawa. So that's how I ended up studying in the UK the first time. So what had happened was originally when I decided law was the route I would take, I wanted to be a human rights lawyer. And I think for a lot of people who have that inclination to be of help to others, that is a common thread. You know, human rights seems to be the type of law where you can do that. The issue that I had was I'm coming from a very poor background. I've put myself through university and I have huge student debt. 
I had to figure out how I was going to pay that off. What happened was I, um, I ended up looking at the law as not only an opportunity for me to help people and a, a catalyst for me to create a platform to use my voice, but also as an opportunity to stabilize myself financially. That's when corporate law came in. Plus I had studied the business and entrepreneurship and that, you know, I really enjoyed business. I found it incredibly interesting. And what was really interesting to me, because at first I felt a little bit ashamed of, of the idea of switching from human rights to corporate law, just because I needed to pay my student loans off. And that was really challenging for me at first. But then I got into corporate law and I realized that there was this huge opportunity because there were very few people who looked like me or sounded like me or identified the way I did. All of a sudden now I'm opening a door to forging a path for more representation. And that was really cool. The other side of that was, you know, finding a passion for helping people build their lives from a business standpoint, helping entrepreneurs create their livelihoods and, you know, support their families and achieve their dreams. And again, my goal was to help people. So I'm finding ways, no matter what path I'm taking, and, you know, no path is a straight line, right? You're zigzagging all over the place. I'm finding ways to achieve that goal and to make sure that I'm staying true to myself and who I am, no matter where I am. I take all of that amazing opportunity in London and Hong Kong and traveling the world and meeting all these incredible humans that I will forever be grateful for. And I come back to Canada after my first daughter is born with my husband, who's British. And I'm looking at what opportunities exist for me in a law firm that speaks to my values. And I'll be honest, I really couldn't find one that truly represented what I wanted to create. I found ones that were similar, I suppose, or that were sort of charting their own path in a similar direction, but I had all these other ideas. And at the forefront for me at that time was DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so I was pregnant with my second child and I really, I, I really needed flexibility. And so I decided it was time and I just went for it. I created Jameson Law and it really became something very special. Uh, we were a firm of all women, not by design. It just happened that way. We were a firm of diverse women. We championed DEI. We supported our clients with developing diversity, equity, inclusion policies and strategies. We talked to them a lot about how diversity could benefit their businesses and actually positively impact their bottom line. I worked very hard with my team to create a platform for all of us to speak openly about DEI and how it impacted us all, not only on an individual level, but as an organization and how we felt it could, or a better understanding of, of diversity, equity, and inclusion, but equity in particular could actually be the way forward for all organizations and could create the change that was so needed. And I think that because that was the approach that we took, we were adding a lot more value than just legal advice. And that was really 
something special. I am so proud of the team that we created, of the success that we had. I am so proud of the success that our clients experienced. And I will forever be grateful for that journey and that that part of my life. There are there really aren't words enough to describe what that meant to me and, and what it still means to me and will continue to mean to me forever. Sounds like a super powerhouse team. Um, it was. <laughs> it is. It still is. We're still a team. <laughs> yeah. And I'd be curious to learn, like, because you transitioned, this is all very recent too, in terms of your uh, transition from, you know, working in the private sector heading your own firm um, and you were recently announced as vice chairperson of the Canadian International Trade Tribunal. Can you share a little bit about what this transition meant for you and also was it a difficult decision to make at the end of the day? You know I always say to people it was the hardest decision I've ever had to make in my career but also the easiest Um, and there's good reason for that. You know, what I just described to you that Jameson Law represented and the impact that it had, um, it was something so special. And everybody that was part of that team, I believe, and, and I have been told, feel the same. And I think that that's an experience that is very difficult to give up when you have a team that is so in sync and everybody feels comfortable and there's complete honesty and trust and transparency. That's not something that exists without a lot of effort and a lot of compassion and empathy and understanding. And to create an environment like that successfully is just a a huge achievement in and of itself. And I think that to leave that was, and to let that go and to say goodbye for now to that was very, very difficult. I, I think for all of us, to be honest, not just for me. But when I looked at the opportunity, I was very honest with my team right away that the opportunity had been offered to me and I spoke to them very openly and we talked about what it meant for all of us. And, um, you know, my biggest concern was if I take this opportunity, which is presenting me with the possibility of, of having or making the impact that I want to make on an even bigger scale and positively impacting Canadians, I look at that and I, if I consider that, what does that mean for my team and for my clients? And that was my biggest concern, you know, in the interest of honesty and, and transparency and all the things that we valued as a team, we had very open discussions about it. And what I came to realize was as long as I worked really hard with each individual to make sure that they had something that they were going into, that they felt happy about and excited about and that was furthering their journey in a positive way Um, and as long as I ensured that my clients had somewhere to land that was going to be great for them in every aspect that matters when you're a business looking for legal counsel as long as I did my best 
to create an environment so that everybody was exiting in a positive way. It wasn't just me saying, okay, see you later, fend for yourselves, which I would never do. Then I was staying true to myself because I was helping, but I was also ensuring that I was continuing forward on my journey. Once I figured that out and we kind of got the wheels in motion and everybody was sort of trying to decide, you know, what's my next step. And we were, you know, making sure we had a really great plan for our clients. I felt more empowered to accept the opportunity, which I did. You know, I think the great thing about the Canadian International Trade Tribunal is the team that exists there now, they're all very driven to ensure that we are representing the diverse perspective that we are bringing, like you say, transparent, transparent and timely adjudication um, of trade and tariff matters that we're providing fair access to justice. And, um, you know, that's something that's extremely important to me as well. You know, I also advocate for access to justice. So again, you know, everything that's happening at the CITT right now is very in line with the things that matter to me. And the team is absolutely incredible. So I see this as a great opportunity for me to bring a diverse perspective and a diverse experience and to help to create um, an environment in a leadership role where Hopefully, others on the outside looking in will in some way, you know, be able to see themselves in me and will know that that is an opportunity that if it interests them could potentially be something that they work towards or, you know, apply for and and not shy away from because, you know, maybe before they couldn't see themselves in that opportunity. So I think that that's very important to me and the opportunity to serve Canadians generally I knew that if I didn't take this chance and move forward I I would potentially always regret it so so that's what I did yeah there's so much in there from building really inclusive environments ensuring that you're that you upheld the the values that were embedded in your company from the very beginning. Um, so transparency, trust, um, just being very communicative about your decision-making process and, and making sure that people felt comfortable with how that would impact them as well. You mentioned to me, you know, some of the, some of the reasons why you took on this opportunity to service Canadians, as you've just stated, and to open the door to more women, and then that piece on procedural equity. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like? Yeah, so I mean, I think the way that I can probably best address that is in the broader issue of access to justice and the capacity that I'm working right now. And I think that access to justice is not a new issue. It's been around for a very long time. Um, and it's really a matter of, for me anyways, when I think of access to justice and how I can support that and, and move the dial forward, 
I'm thinking about understanding the gaps and the blind spots that exist and working hard to create access, not inhibit it inadvertently, but also to improve it where it already exists. That again speaks to gaps and blind spots. So where it exists already, what are we potentially missing? Where are we missing the mark and how do we make it better? From a procedural equity standpoint, it's a question of taking into consideration things like plain language. You know, are we using plain language so that, you know, taking out the legal jargon and the legalese and making sure that it's completely clear what a person's rights are, what steps they need to take? Are we adequately guiding people to ensure that they know what steps to take? Are we considering cultural nuances? Are we ensuring that we are accessible to people with disabilities? Um, you know, what are the steps that we need to take, the changes that we need to make on what already exists to ensure that access to justice exists and that we are improving it always, but that it is also equitable for all people. And equity looks different for everybody. So it's hard to kind of succinctly explain what that means. Equity is a huge topic that we could do a whole other podcast on because I'm so passionate about how important it is and that everybody needs to understand it. But overall, if we can create a justice system and a quasi-judicial system as well, so administrative tribunals and you know the courts, if we can create a justice system where all people understand their rights, all people know how to access it, and all people are can be guided through the process in a way that they understand and is equitable to them, considering them as an individual, um, then we will be moving that dial forward. And, you know, I think that this is an issue that we need to continuously be working on and bringing awareness to and using our voice um, to advocate for um, and really encouraging ongoing conversations on this topic because it's through those conversations that we're going to be better able to understand the gaps and the blind spots that we're mm -hmm. currently overlooking. And I guarantee you, there are many. So how do we keep working to improve those? And that is something that drives me every single day. Mm -hmm. And to have someone in your leadership position who is thinking about equity at a systemic level is very powerful. So um, it just goes back to your earlier mention of the gravity of this opportunity and also your foresight into understanding what this can mean, you know, nationally, which is amazing. So Brie, you're also a diversity, equity, and inclusion champion, a proponent of access to justice. I'm curious when you specifically realized that this would be a part of your life's work. So DEI has always been a part of my life. I think it was a reality of my existence from, you know, the moment I was born. I live in the middle of an intersection and I always knew from a young age that it was something that I needed to advocate for because I didn't feel like I fit anywhere. Um, and I think that that was really powerful as a realization for a young child. 
So it's always been part of my life. And in my life now, when I think of DEI and, and the platform that I have, I really want to be the representation that I wish I had had as a young person. Before we wrap up the episode, I would love to hear, you're also a mentor um, and you're a mentor to young women entrepreneurs. I'm curious for any young entrepreneurs who are listening and in the audience, um, beyond what you've shared around what's, you know, your motto and what's really played into your personal, you know, successes in the in the business world. What do you typically hear from the people that you're working with and mentoring? And what are some things that have been really valuable? Oftentimes when you're, when I'm working with um, women mentees, it's the limiting beliefs that come up recurrently, things like imposter syndrome, which, you know, I've had that too. So I completely empathize with those feelings and the feeling that they can't achieve the goals that they've set out to achieve because maybe they don't see themselves in the leadership or they're missing certain experience criteria because equity didn't exist when they were a teenager or a young adult and they didn't have the same opportunities. I hear a lot of that and I think, and it comes in so many variations of what I just said. I mean, it, you know, it really depends on the person and their lived experience, but what I always say to people, and this is something that one of my male mentors actually taught me when I was younger, he said to me, build a foundation, a strong foundation, because from that you can create anything. And I live by that. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter where you come from, what language you speak, what your beliefs are, what color your skin is. You know, it doesn't, none of that matters. All that matters is that you believe in yourself enough that you are resilient enough in your career to create a foundation that is so solid that it cannot be shaken. And if you create that foundation and you truly understand who you are, what your goals are, and what you are setting out to achieve, you can absolutely create anything. You can achieve anything. And at that stage, when you have that solid foundation and you start taking those steps forward, big and small, those steps are not, you know, clear cut. Sometimes you're taking massive leaps and sometimes you're like, you're waking up in the morning and saying, I need to stay in bed today. Like, I just, I need a day. And, and that's you stepping into your power in that day. Whatever that journey looks like for you, if you have created that unshakable foundation, you will inevitably achieve your goals. You have your footing. You know who you are. You know where you come from. You know what you believe is important to you. You know you know who your support system is, who, who matters to you. You know, what's, you know what your priorities are. And you're not going to sweat the small stuff. That is very strong. When I heard foundation, I didn't immediately think at an identity level and at a priority level, just like on a personal level, right? Before you even engage in your work, before you engage in all of these other things, it's like, are you self-aware enough to know what really matters? And not enough people talk about that. So this that was very clear and very helpful. 
Yeah, that's it. Absolutely. You know, you have to, you have to know yourself. It's not about other people knowing you. It's about you knowing yourself. And in the context of creating a foundation for your career, that that's, I want to be really clear on that. Okay. Because I think identity is a very broad issue. Again, that is incredibly important to me. And it is very important that other people that know who you are in this context, what I'm trying to say is if you know who you are, if you know where you come from, what you value, and you base the foundation of your career and your career progression on that foundation of Mm -hmm. who you are and where you come from and what's important to you, you will achieve because you're just so solid Mm -hmm. in that grounding. Yeah. I think anything is possible. Anything is possible. We just have to push on regardless. Full circle. Full circle. So throughout this episode, Brie, you talked a lot about the different, like you've made decisions in your life that have ripple effects. And as we navigate life, it's so crazy when you look back and see how one decision completely changed your course, whether it was like meeting your partner abroad, like you never would have met him if you didn't, you know, travel there and and take that risk and that jump, right? And so can you talk a little bit about how these small steps for you have moved the needle in your life? It's often a phrase that I've used, you know, just to keep going and stay focused. So can you talk a little bit about what that means to you? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's first really important to acknowledge that the steps I've taken throughout my life have been all different sizes because some days I'm taking baby steps or no steps and other days I'm taking huge leaps and big risks. And it really just depends on the day and how I'm feeling at that moment and what my capacity is as a person because I'm human, right? So you know, I'll start there, but I think for me, facing the steps that were challenges really pushed me to find my power. And that was true, even if it meant taking a step backwards. And I think that that's something that's really also crucially important is remembering that a step backwards doesn't mean failure. Sometimes it's a regroup, it's a pause. And it's very necessary. And then the other thing is that those steps were to just wake up and recognize that I needed to rest. I needed to just stay in bed that day, shut my brain off, put my electronics away. And in those moments, that was me finding my power. That was me finding my power to say, this is okay. This is completely acceptable. I am not going to feel guilty I am going to rest because that is what my body needs. And I think that in recognizing that, you realize that your journey is many sized steps or pauses that kind of make up your path forward. And it doesn't matter on a day-to-day basis what that looks like, as long as you know that you're doing your best and you're driving forward and whatever that looks like, even if it's a pause, I'm taking the day off. You're, you're going to move that needle of your life ultimately, but you've got to take care of yourself too. So recognizing that is also a really big step. And that gives great nuance to the motto that you shared previously, right? Because the first thing that I thought was like, okay, what do you do when you're tired? And you 
for that Absolutely. moment or that day, you know, you don't feel like rushing. But I think that provides really beautiful context. Yeah. Recognizing that we're human and, yep. you know, we're not going to be at 100 every single day. And especially, nope. you know, as women, I started reading more about our cycle and being on a 28-day cycle is very different from being on a 24-hour cycle. And so just ensuring that we have that grace. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's also important to remember with that motto, push on regardless doesn't mean not feeling your feelings or not being connected to your humanness. It just means not giving up. So I think maybe that gives a little bit more context to what my grandmother meant by push on regardless. Free, there are so many different investments that you've made into yourself. Um, I definitely see like taking those big jumps and like really just in, you know, investing in that foundation that your mentor shared with you. And so can you talk a little bit about some of the best investments that you've ever made and how you decided to make them. So it doesn't necessarily need to be financial, um, but it could be like time that you spent doing X, Y, Z. I mean, I think one of the best investments I ever made in myself was believing in myself from a young age, um, making the choice to believe in myself despite everything else and despite everyone else, waking up every day and, and choosing to pave my way and, and follow the path that I believed was the correct one for me, despite what anybody else might think. So I think that that was the first investment I made in myself. It's funny because <laughs> one of the, the best investments I ever made in myself was back in 2004, spending, I think it was $632 on a flight to England. <laughs> you know, I was in university and I was you know, on OSAP and working two jobs. And uh, that was a lot of money. But at that moment, I believed in myself and I was ready to turn that dream into a reality. And so I saw my worth and I invested in me. And I went and I decided this is my opportunity to actualize the person I know I can be and that I am capable of being. So I'm going to go for it. And I did. And, you know, it was that opportunity to leave a limiting environment and to broaden my horizons and and make my dreams come true. And so I think that that was probably, you know, the greatest financial investment I ever made in myself. Not a lot of money when you think of it on a grander scale. But at that time, <laughs> at it was that a big time, deal. In that moment, it was a very big deal. And, you know, it brought me my career and my wonderful husband and my four beautiful children and, you know, a, a life that I am just so incredibly blessed to have. And um, I am grateful for that every single day. That's so beautiful. <laughs> Brie, what are, what are some things that you're curious about? If you can share in two, in two sentences, what are you curious about today? My biggest curiosity has always been people. I'm so curious about people. I'm, you know, I'm curious about their identity to the extent that they're willing to share with me. I'm curious about what drives them. 
um, their experiences. Again, you know, if they're willing to share, I'm always interested and I love to listen. Um, and I think that curiosity in people, and I'm sorry, this is more than two sentences, but curiosity in people is really um, the key to finding out what changes people want and need and what changes need to be made that we need to make as a collective um, so that we can really move that dial. So people. Bree, one question that I typically ask at the end of the episode is like, what's the one thing happening in your industry that you're really keeping an eye out on right now? And you are so multifaceted and are a champion of really important issues. And so, you know, you can look beyond industry, like if there's anything happening in the world right now that you're particularly interested in and keeping your eye out on, I'd love to hear that. Yeah, so I, I think for me, the two biggest issues that I'm constantly watching and, and listening for, um, and listening is very key on both of these issues, is diversity, equity, and inclusion and access to justice. Um, they very much encompass my day-to-day -day thinking. They are in the back of my mind in everything that I do, even teaching my children. I'm always thinking about these things. I'm always listening. Crucial. We have to listen. I'm always listening and trying to keep my, you know, a pulse on the ground as to how people are feeling, what people are talking about, so that I get a better understanding, right? Because of course I have my perspective and my lived experience, but there's so much more diversity in experience. And these conversations are so just incredible. I mean, you know, the conversations that are happening when you really tune in and you really listen, you're you're hearing things that just open your mind and open your eyes. And that's really powerful. And I think having that knowledge as well is very powerful. So yeah, they, that would still be the two, the two issues that I'm constantly keeping my eye on. Mm -hmm. And for the audience who is also interested in these things, with all of the information that is available online, I'm curious to know, like, what are your trusted sources? You know, I, I don't, follow specific sources. For me, it's about really looking broader. Um, sometimes I'm, I'm reading tiny articles in like, you know, obscure publications because this person who's written this article or a perspective is so unique. Um, you know, I'm a huge podcast listener. I love listening to podcasts. I think that you can learn a lot just by hearing people that you would not necessarily be subjected to otherwise talk about their experiences or, you know, issues that they've been studying for a really long time, for example, and providing perspective on those. So for me, it's really about taking a broader lens, not just following specific, you know, podcasts or publications, but also, I often, like friends or you know, people in my network will say to me, have you heard of this writer or have you heard of this podcast? And, you know, I'll go and buy the book or I'll listen to the audiobook or I'll listen to the podcast just so that I get that perspective. And I think that that's another really good way to educate yourself because the people around you 
have a really good understanding of who you are and what's important to you. So if they're willing to share that information and say, hey, I heard this podcast the other day, I think you'd really like it. I always take that really seriously, especially from people who really know me, because I recognize that it's impossible for me to filter all of the resources available to me in this world. So when people give recommendations, I, I tend to really take those to heart and, and listen. This is so great. Thank you, Bree. Thank you for making the time to chat with us on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Power of Why podcast. You can find the show notes at naomihiley.com forward slash podcast. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the Power of Why on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode was brought to you in collaboration with Invest Ottawa and with critical support from BDC Capital's Thrive Venture Fund, title sponsor of International Women's Week 2023, we teamed up to produce this special series in celebration of International Women's Week featuring six inspirational leaders. Visit www.investottawa.ca forward slash IWW to learn more.